The sponsor for the month is Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. They've provided resources for churches since 1982 through conferences, books, the Sword in the Trial podcast, video documentaries, online articles found at founders.org, the quarterly Founders Journal, Bible studies, international church search, and the newly launched seminary level training program, the Institute of Public Theology. Founders believes that the biblical faith is inherently doctrinal, and they are therefore confessional in their convictions. You can learn more about Founders Ministries and how to partner with them at founders.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Really hope you had a great Christmas time. I love Christmas and everything about it. We had four, let's see, three or four different gatherings with family. I just had a really great time with family, and I hope you did as well. And now it's kind of that time between Christmas and New Year's where you just try to recover and enjoy that time. I always love it because it slows down that week, kind of slows down a little bit, ending the year. It kind of gives you time to reflect on the previous year and then turn your attention to 2022. Jordan and I have had a lot of discussions about 2022 and think we have a pretty good plan. We're excited to see what the Lord's going to do. And, you know, God always has his ways of changing a year. And it goes, some, sometimes it goes the way you think it's going to go. And then more times than not, it's, it goes a whole lot different than you think it's going to go. But we're excited about a new year and we're turning the corner and, and gearing up for that. But why don't we go ahead and pray. We're going to continue in this series on suffering. Today we're going to look at Satan, demons, and suffering. I thought it would be good to do a little bit of a primer on, on the devil, Satan, and demons as we get into this series. And so I'm not immediately jumping to natural disasters and the order that I laid out for last week. And I'm sorry about the hit or miss nature of the last month. We've been sick at our house and there's just been so many things going on with Christmas time. It's just been a difficult thing to get in here and to record. And so we'll have a regular schedule, more regular schedule back in January. But uh, but today we continue on in this series. And we're just doing a little intro. We're doing like a, a little uh, kind of just putting this series right in or putting this into the series. And hopefully this can be helpful as you think through Satan and demons and suffering. Because you're thinking about suffering, you have to think about Satan and demons as well. So let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help and then trust that he's going to give it. Lord, we just thank you for your grace that's upon us. We ask for direction. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for indwelling us. Jesus, thank you for coming to destroy the works of the devil. And thank you that you have bound him and that he has so much less power than uh, than he would have if you did not come. And so, God, we thank you so much for all that you've done. Lead us and guide us. I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. We're going to start with the Old Testament. We're going to go to the cross. And then we're going to look at some post-cross, post-resurrection passages uh, and look at what Jesus came to do uh, and, and his implication, the implications of what he came to do specifically in regards to the devil. And then we're going to end back in the book of Job. So we're going to start with Job, end with Job, and kind of take a, a biblical survey through New and, Old Test, New and Old Testament and looking at a couple passages. I think we'll get some clear ideas about what Satan can do and can't do and, and all of this being under the sovereignty of God. So let's just start with Job. Now, it's interesting in Job, the devil seems to be with other spiritual godlike beings, all lesser created beings, you know, not God, but Satan seems to be going around and uh, comes to God and makes a request and uh, or comes to God and uh, after being 
after being in this roaming to and fro state around the earth, and God offers up Job to the devil. And this is just really clear. God is in charge of the situation, and Satan is limited to what he can do based on the bidding of God. And so Satan goes out and does his work. And I want you to think about what God um, allows Satan to do. Satan is allowed to kill. He kills Job's, Job's family. He does this through natural disaster. And so you, you see things like whirlwinds and fire. This was Satan who was doing this. And then he also brings sickness. So you have pretty big categories and that we find out that Satan's involved with. And God gives him the liberty to do this. You do this, but here's the parameters. You can't kill Job. But he still kills other people and does this by way of natural disaster and uh, also brings boils or sickness upon Job as well. That's some pretty powerful things. That's uh, Satan doing some real things. And, uh, and we find that that is... Uh, uh, something at the very end, we're going to see this as we come full circle here in a little bit, that Satan never gets the, uh, the credit for this in the end uh, because God never comforts Job with the fact that Satan was doing all of this. Somehow or another, this is still under the parameters and under the, the governing authority of God over this whole situation. So Satan has limits even in the Old Testament. But when we, we fast forward and we go into the Gospels. And we look in the Gospels and we see that Satan is bringing sickness everywhere. We have examples of this, of a little girl or a little boy who who are mad or sick, and it's directly related to Satan being involved in the situation. And as you read through the Gospels, you're just reading through, and it's like Satan and demons are everywhere. I mean, they're just all over the place. And they end up in a a herd of pigs after making a man mad, you know, in the cemetery, the, the... situations like that are everywhere. And so you see this rampant activity of Satan and demons when Jesus shows up. And I think there is a reason for that. And then what happens often today is we read the Old Testament or we read the Gospels and we think that everything today is exactly like it was when Jesus showed up. And so we look at things in the world, and especially within charismatic circles, Satan is given credit for absolutely everything. You know, everywhere you look, Satan's at work. And we credit Satan to basically being omnipresent. Like he has the same, you know, uh, it's almost like he has everything that God has, but he's just, you know, the dark force. And so you have this dualism kind of talk that happens where Satan's doing his thing and God's doing his thing and there's this cosmic battle and then hopefully, you know, God's going to win in the end. But Satan really is this huge and powerful being because we look at the Gospels and we see this everywhere. It's like, my goodness. And we look at, at Job, Satan seems to have a ton of power. And so, you know, how, how do we approach then when we think about suffering or doing a series on suffering here, when we're shepherding our people through seasons of difficulty, how do we think biblically about Satan and demons? And pastors, I want you to consider this and everybody else listening in a couple passages that I think will be helpful. And I think after we see this, these, these few verses, we're going to have to say that there is a massive difference between post, pre and post cross and resurrection demonic and satan satanic activity that jesus came to actually do something that affected satan to where satan is not active in the same way he used to be active and i think these verses really lay out a compelling case that satan is an actually satan and demons are actually bound right now okay so we're going to start in first john and we're going to look at first john chapter 3 verse 8 and i want you to think about what jesus came to do and you've read these passages probably preach these passages but sometimes we don't know how they relate to one another. And so I, th- I think, again, at the end of this, we're going to see a massive difference between pre- and post-cross 
with Satan, Satan's activity and demonic activity. Okay, look at verse eight. The reason the Son of God came, or, uh, the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. That's a pretty explicit statement. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And if we just ask the question, did Jesus actually do that, and then give an answer, yes, he did, then we have some direction here. There's something that Jesus actually did to Satan. And when we just say Satan, you know, Satan is representative also of his minions, which would be demons who are along with him, a part of the third of the angels that rebelled against God, that, that went along with the devil, went along with Satan. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what he did. Now, we can't just say, you know, that's what he did from this passage. But when we have other verses that really speak to this, that gives us some clarity. And we start to fill in the gaps here of what we're thinking. Did, did Jesus actually destroy the works of the devil? Yes, he did. How do we know he did? Okay, consider Colossians 2, 15. Listen to this. We'll start in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He put rulers and authorities to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus was victorious over these rulers and authorities. This is what Jesus did. And then to make it more explicit, this is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil. Okay, there's an explicit statement. These rulers and authorities, and if you just remember Colossians 2.14 and Hebrews 2.14, it can be helpful. Jesus destroyed the devil. He has power over death, that is the devil. And Jesus came to, to, to destroy that one, the one, the devil. Now, destroy does not mean cease to exist, because we hear this in just a little bit from 1 Peter. But I want you to, again, think about this. These are statements that are leading us down a road of saying that Satan and demons had some sort of power that uh, pre-cross that they do not have post-crossed. Jesus did something that affected them, both destroying them and putting an end to their work. Now, I think, as a post-millennialist, this is, and uh, I think amillennialists would, would agree with this as well, they would point to these passages and say, see, Satan is now bound. He is bound. And I think Satan is bound right now. However, I still think 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and James chapter 4, verse, verse 1, or verse 7, need to be listened to, uh, because this is also post-cross, and these are written post-cross, and so we have to consider this as well as we're kind of piecing these things together and doing our, you know, little systematic as we approach this, this subject. Okay, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, here's what it says. Uh, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourself, all of you with humility toward one another. God opposes the pr proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, down to verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Okay, resist him. Who? Resist the devil. So somehow, Hebrews 2.14, Colossians 2.14, 1 John 3.8 are all true, and simultaneously, the devil is still, even in his bound state, able to prowl around like a roaring lion seeking, to, seeking someone to devour. Now, I think 
what we have to understand is that, I think it was Piper who said this uh, a couple years or, or years ago, and he was talking about uh, the the devil being a toothless lion or a toothless lion or the devil being you know bound and chained, where the the devil has these chains on him and he has limitations to where he can prowl and roam. I think that when you put these two together, you have to come to that conclusion that the the devil in his roaring lion state in First Peter is not the same as the devil pre-cross because the works of the devil have been destroyed. That's what Jesus came to do. And then James chapter 4, and we'll look at this before we turn back to the book of Job. And this is going to be really helpful as you're thinking through these things with your people because in times of comforting, comforting folks, especially if they came from, like I said earlier, a charismatic church background, they're going to need to understand what role the devil plays, but also we're going to have to keep this in mind as we comfort people. Um, when people are struggling with sin and temptation, primarily the issue they're dealing with is the flesh and indwelling sin. And yet, we're told in chapter 4, verse 7 of the book of James, Submit yourself therefore to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And there's going to have to be times in our lives when we're, we're counseling people and we're discipling people where we have to realize, wait a minute, this really is... There's some, there's the, the wiles of the devil are here, and there are temptations from the devil. This is not just the flesh. This is the flaming darts. This is the, the Ephesians chapter 6. These are the, the darts from the enemy that's being shot at this faithful brother and this brother that's struggling or this brother that may even be in a gutter right now. And the flesh inside of him is rising up and taking hold of these darts from the devil, these, these, these fiery darts of the devil, and holding on to them. And we're going to have to encourage them to resist the devil. So if we look at all of these these sections of Scripture and we combine them, I think we have a, a pretty clear picture that pre-cross, Satan and demons are more active and have more power still under the sovereignty of God, still chained, still governed by God, but they had more of that. Their extent of their working was more than it is post-cross. I have no frame of reference or any way to understand those passages other than that, to say that they are now bound and destroyed, and somehow or another still in that destruction and in that bound state, able to roam to some degree, but not in the same way that they used to. Satan is defeated. He's defeated. Okay, now, let's go to the book of Job now, and let's go back, because even in the Old Testament, even in, um, even in the Old Testament, in the situation that we find ourselves in the book of Job, God never comforts Job with peeling back the curtain and saying, hey, Job, this was actually the devil. He never does that. In fact, when Job says, shall we not take the good from the Lord and the evil, God does not say, no, 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 wait a minute, that was Satan. I gave Satan permission to do this. He does not comfort Job with a big Satan. And one of the worst things that we can do as pastor shepherds is comfort people through, through pointing them to a powerful devil and saying, look how much power the devil ha has. And I see this all over the place. I've seen this in my life when I went to Pentecostal college. I saw people comforting themselves with a small God and a big devil. And the last thing people need is they're walking through despair and sadness and, and just a deep, deep valley is to be thinking about how big Satan is. What they need to be thinking about is what God gives Job, even in the Old Testament. And if this is the case, how much even more today, post-cross, when the devil is bound, when he is held down, 
when he is governed to even a greater degree, when he is destroyed, when Jesus came to put an end to his work, how much more now should we comfort ourselves with the bigness of God rather than with the bigness of Satan? Now, when Job is talking to God, God answers Job. And he says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And then he goes for an entire chapter, two chapters. And into three chapters, Job responds, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Who will argue with God? Let him answer it. And how God comforts Job in this moment, after he's lost everything, after Satan brought fire, killed his family, brought sickness and boils, and burned up his fields. After Satan did all that, God comfort, comforted Job, not through telling him, hey, listen, man, this wasn't me, but, but through saying, who will find fault with me? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God or to talk back to God? Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand to my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Again, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? And he goes on again for two more chapters. And we get to the end. And Job responds to the Lord. The, the Job, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? There, therefore I have uttered what I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of your ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then, then God goes to rebuke all the friends except Elihu. Now, it's so important for us to understand this. When we think about suffering, somehow or another, Satan and demons are at play to a very limited degree. But we never need to comfort our people. And anybody listening in, never be comforted with a big Satan. Even in the book of Job, pre-cross. What God comforts Job with is his bigness. There's going to be secret things that always belong to the Lord, but we are comforted by the God who holds all things in his hands, and we can trust him, and no purpose of his can be thwarted. That's what comforted Job, knowing that in the moment and through the pain, no matter what God brought or what Satan brought Job's way, Job was comforted with the bigness of God, and that's our comfort here today, and I hope that's your comfort here today. Uh, guys, I know people go through difficult things. I'm walking with some people right now going through difficult things, and the last thing I want them to be thinking about is how big and powerful Satan is. We need to point them to the goodness of God who holds all things in, in his hands. Guys, I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great new year, and we'll be back here soon.